the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus tells us to pick up our cross and follow after him daily. That can get a little wearisome at times if we don't understand what's really going on. No discouragement to bear the cross if you understand Romans 8 correctly. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We are continuing our survey of Romans, and today we're back in chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 28 through 30 today. Now, Pastor Gary has entitled today's message, No Discouragement to Bear the Cross. And indeed, if we understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what salvation is actually brought to us, well, that tends to minimize any kind of discouragement we might get when we pick up our cross and follow after Christ. For the details, here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. No discouragement to bear the cross. If you are as weak as I am, then you've probably found Romans 8, 28 through 30 to be a fortress. Those verses teach us, us, teach, us, teach us that our main comfort in suffering, in perplexity, in confusion, is not for God to make everything to go away, for Him to make all things better. It is for Him in mercy to give us a clearer apprehension that he is working in these things. He has good, holy, wise reasons for bringing sorrows and sufferings and difficulties into our lives. So, beloved, yield to him and be happy. The mention in verse 28 of God's purpose right at the end of the verse leads the apostle to consider God's foreknowledge and predestination predestinating sovereignty. He does not bring these forward primarily for what we would call today doctrinal discussion or speculation. He brings them forward to deepen the assurance of verse 28 to raise our assurance that God is working in our sorrows to such a level that even the angels must stand in amazement at God's goodness to sinners. Our troubles are no accident, beloved. They are forming us into the very image of the Lord Jesus. And we have to partake of his sufferings, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.7, before we can ever partake of the consolation, the encouragement. Therefore, don't argue with God about your troubles. Don't complain. Your fretting is useless. 
If he brought his son through so much terror of sorrow and suffering in order to save us, we should be willing, willingly to follow him wherever he leads without complaining or even so much as raising a whimper, but just rejoicing in his love and his goodness because the sovereign, loving, holy God is working out the perfect purposes through everything, everything that he brings into our lives. So it is remarkable, verse 29, that he brings forward two charged concepts, foreknowledge and predestination, right in the immediate context of Romans 8, 28. It's almost as if he says, do you want to be comforted in your troubles? Do you want to have encouragement? Do you want to have freedom from worry? Do you want to have peace that passes all understanding? Then don't look at yourself. Don't try to go by your own understanding. He says, look at me. Behold my majesty, my sovereignty, my dominion. Now to say that God foreknew us is more than to say that he knew us before we knew him. Although that is certainly true. To say that God foreknew us is not to say that, that well, God looked down, you know, the quarters of time and he knew who would have faith or he knew who would choose Jesus or he, know, he knew who would be good and worthy and then preemptively selected us ahead of time. Something interesting in this in Greek is that there are no qualifiers for the word whom. There is nothing here for the accusative to them whom. It receives all the working upon. It does nothing. It does nothing. And God is the one who does the knowing and the choosing. We are the recipients of his favor. Totally undeserved. So we must say, that God's foreknowledge of his people is not based upon any consideration that is external to his own knowing of them and choosing of them before the foundation of the world. There are no qualifiers. There are no descriptives. He could put them in there if he wanted to. But let me put it this way. There is nothing but God's anticipating, choosing, electing us to himself in Christ before the foundation of the world. That is the only thing that distinguishes us from the mass of depraved, fallen humanity. There is nothing else. He wasn't looking for our goodness. We didn't have faith. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he asks, For who maketh thee to differ? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, that verse is particularly referring to issues within the Corinthian congregation. But as Augustine pointed out, it has a far broader application. That the only thing that makes men to differ is God's gifts, his graces, his mercy to those whom he has set his love upon. In other words, God's foreknowledge of his people is what does the distinguishing between men. Sovereign election to grace is what makes men to differ. Nothing else. But I want to dig into the word foreknowledge for just a minute. 
Now you may be thinking then, oh no, this is probably going to be heavily theological. And there would be nothing wrong with a heavy study of God. But I just want to look at the word knowledge for just a minute. Because in scripture, very often, when God is said to know a person, it means far more than simply like. Well, he knew that there was a man walking down the street. No, it means for him to mark them out, that he knows their ways and that he loves them. Go all the way back, if you will, to Genesis eighteen nineteen. We're going to look at several verses, beginning there in verse 17. Abraham here is about to intercede for Sodom. And the Lord said this, Shall I hide from Abraham that which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him? For I know him. For I know know him, or I've marked him out, or he is my own. I am intimately acquainted with my work in Abraham's life, Abraham's faith in me. I know him. Look at Exodus 2.25. It's interesting that here the Lord sees the affliction of his people. Exodus 2.24. And God heard their groaning. Love, you need to groan to God in your afflictions because he hears the groaning of his people and because he heard the groaning of his son. Then it says, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And in the King James Version, it says, and God had respect unto them. But the Hebrew uh, verb here is yada, w Y-A-D-A, which is to say, and God knew them. This is a lot more than merely God had an intellectual apprehension that they were down there groaning and suffering. No, he entered into this with them. He's looking upon it and is personally, intimately acquainted with his people. He loves them. In Psalm 1-6 is one of the most precious lines in all of Scripture. And this psalm should be very familiar. Verse 5. For the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Notice. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So it's not just that he knows our way, but he knows their way too. And that is why they are going to perish. He is particularly intimately acquainted with the ways and the affairs of his people. So much so that we have a verse like Amos 3.2 beginning in verse 1. Hear the word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying... You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore will I punish you for all your iniquities. But wait a minute. Didn't the Lord know about the Egyptians? Sure. Didn't he know about the Philistines? Sure. 
but in the whole mass of humanity. It can be said that in terms of knowing or being intimately acquainted with, drawn to, to guarding over with vigilance, God knows in the fullest sense of the word only one of those families, and that is his people, Israel. And Hosea 13.5, beginning in verse 4, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me. For, is there, for there is no Savior besides me. I did not know you in the wilderness. Now again, intimacy, familiarity, just like we are to have with him. Now this constant carries right over into the New Testament. We see this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, in what are the most dreadful words that anyone could ever hear. So I encourage you, if you do not know the Savior... Repent and believe the gospel and look for his cross to be cleansed, to, for you to be cleansed today. Matthew seven twenty two. Many will see me on that day, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I Never knew you. Now, did he know about them? Yes. He knows everything. But he didn't know them. He didn't know them in the sense of Exodus 2.25, Genesis 5.15, Amos 3.2, Hosea 13.5. He didn't know them like that. He did not love them. He was not intimately concerned for their well-being in this life. And he did not diligently guard over them. And then we can use as a capstone 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. It is interesting, I realize, we are not very PC today because most people want to maintain that God is the great humanitarian God loves everyone the same. Well, I hope not. Because if God loves everyone in the same, we will have to pull out 99 hundredths of the Bible. And we cannot have any confidence that that love is going to actually save anyone. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone who nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let me try to summarize. For God to foreknow us is the same thing as for him to say that he foreloved us. Again, for God to foreknow us is the same thing as for him to say that he foreloved us. He knows our ways. He knows our lives, our destiny. He, he intimately looks over us. He does us good. He surrounds us with his grace and with his mercy in Jesus Christ. And he so reigns over us, as it says in Proverbs, that no evil shall happen to the righteous. He knew and loved us before we ever existed, before there was anything but him. 
His foreknowledge, His foreloving us is the sole reason why He sent Jesus to redeem us by His sacrifice on the cross. It is the sole reason that He gave us the ability to repent and believe the gospel. John 1.12 But as many as received Him, to them He gave them the right to become the children of God, comma, who were born not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. But you know, as remarkable as that is, back to Romans 8, let's put both of these together. He did more than love us. He did more than know us ahead of time. Before we knew him, his love led him to, as it says in verse 29, predestined, choose us. But the word here means to define the boundaries, to mark us out as belonging to him. God's love is not just some kind of gush. Okay, I love you. Now you go and do what you want to. God's love led him to give us his son. God's love before that led him to choose us in his son to mark us out being within the pale of his favor, his grace, and his mercy. And he did this before the foundation of the world. We see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 8. I heard a message recently in which the speaker urged people to become Christians so that Jesus could write their names in his book. Bad sermon, very bad theology. Because the book has no more names being written into it. Why? Revelation seventeen eight, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. A biblical idiom meaning before the world was so this is where god's love leads him it is what it leads him to do for us to claim us for his own to mark us out as belonging to him and to write our names in the lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world he is so loving that his love never fails to secure those whom he loves he does not leave it to happenstance he does not leave it to our mustering up enough faith, our goodness, or our holiness. He leaves it to himself. Having loved, he chose, and that is why, brothers and sisters, that we, uh, we need to understand, going back to Romans 8, that when we come across words like foreknowledge and predestined, it leads us up the creek without a paddle if we want to be the captain of our own destiny. There is no doubt about that. I want to do it my way. Well, if you want to live that way, go live that way. But trust me, you will be burned because that's not God's way. That is not what his love is. God's love beholds us as being dead in our trespasses and sins, but choosing us in Christ and setting us firmly in his electing grace and mercy. So not one for whom Christ died can ever possibly, conceivably perish. 
Now the Holy Spirit sets foreknowledge and predestination in such close proximity to Romans 8.28. It just kind of rolls into it. So this ought to forever silence any thoughts that, well, predestination, foreknowledge, election, these are just cold, heartless doctrines. Oh, beloved, there's nothing cold about them. It is because God loved us that he did predestine us. It even says that in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And verses 5 through 7. Having predestined us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the pleasure of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So again here God loved, and therefore he chose us in Christ. So we must never think of election, predestined or foreknowledge apart from love. Now, admittedly, this doctrine is very high. In fact, I'll admit it's too high for me. So we have to handle it with the greatest humility and awe. We must understand that Paul doesn't bring this up for us to engage in speculation, but to give us assurance of God's law and that he is working all things out together for good. This truth is given to us in the context of suffering so that we will have a secure refuge. No matter how much the troubles of life are raging around us, remember this, God knows us and he loves us. Apply this to yourself. No matter how much the sea billows roll, as the old hymn says, God loves us. He knew and loved us from eternity. He has not forgotten us. He can't forget us. He created this world to show, uh, show his love for us and to bring us to be with him forever. He cannot forget us, for he has marked us out as belonging to him. He knows our soul in adversity and in our afflictions, in afflictions, Isaiah 63, 9. He is afflicted in our afflictions. So faith becomes immovable, even in the worst trials, when we remember that God's love, God's knowledge of us is unchangeable. It is eternal. So our trials are not evidence. Well, God must not love me. He's trying me. No trials are evidence that he does not love you, beloved. But the chastisements that he brings into my life uh, are far from being, oh well, God is getting ready to zap me like Zeus with a lightning bolt. No, God's chastening shows his love for us. Just like a father occasionally has to spank his children. A father who does not spank his children occasionally for their disobedience does not love his children. It does not matter what he thinks. It does not matter what the psychologist says. 
Discipline means I love you. So do you want to have that assurance that all things are working together for good? It has got to be built on the foundation of foreknowledge, forelove, and predestination. And that will bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.